I am Mary Jo Bull, and this is my origin story with a twist. Rather than starting at the beginning, I'm going to start at the end. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to share with you what I came to realize within a few years of where my origin story began. The purpose of my awakening, and that's what it was, the purpose of my awakening was to think for myself. Why is it important that we learn how to think for ourselves? Because it is. It's vital. It's essential. It is critical, especially right now, that we think for ourselves. Here's why. If we don't think for ourselves, then it won't occur to us to ask questions of ourselves, of others, of institutions. We simply accept what we hear and see and experience, and we don't go any further it doesn't occur to us that we can. If we don't learn to ask questions, we will never have access to new information. We have to ask questions. And if we haven't learned to think for ourselves, we're not gonna do that. If we never access new information, then we can't create anything new. Our thoughts will be based on the past. Our minds will remain closed to new information. Our thoughts will be dead. The past is dead and gone. So any thoughts based in the past are dead thoughts. And we'll continue to do the same thing over and over again, creating the same conditions and circumstances in our life and in our world over and over again, making the same mistakes over and over again. Does the phrase, why does this keep happening to me, ring a bell? This is why. We need to learn to think for ourselves. That is the message of my awakening. If you've heard what you need to hear, you can stop here now and go on and listen to future podcasts. If you like a story and you want to hear a little bit more, then stay on this recording with me and you'll hear how this all transpired. So basically, we teach what we need to learn. And I needed to learn to think for myself. And this is how it rolled out. In my late 20s, I fell in love with a person who I believed was the person I was meant to be with for the rest of my life. We dated for a short period of time, only a few months, and I got pregnant. Even though I was on the pill, we had not discussed marriage per se. It was a concept out there, but we'd only been dating for a few months, so it wasn't really something we were seriously considering. But then I found myself pregnant, and... It was a very difficult conversation for several days trying to decide how to proceed. We weren't 
very far into our relationship. We didn't know each other well enough or very well, even though our families went way, way back. Our grandmothers were friends from their young childhood, you know, years. We just weren't prepared for this sudden situation that we found ourselves in. I came from a tradition, a spiritual tradition, one of the big three, and I was raised in that tradition from the time I was very young. And for me, there was only one option finding myself in this situation, being pregnant. There was only one choice, and that was to have the baby. He didn't see it that way. He saw it differently, and we went back and forth and talked about several options. Not that there are that many options when you find yourself in that situation. Ultimately, I came to see things the way he saw them, and we chose to abort the pregnancy. We told ourselves that we were young. We could get to know each other better. When we got married, we could have more children. The time wasn't right. The finances weren't right. We were both sort of still in the formative years of our work and our careers. We didn't know ourselves very well, let alone know each other. So we made the decision to move forward with that. A couple of days after I had the procedure done, and to his credit, he was with me. He came down, uh, he lived, didn't live close to me, traveled here to Virginia where I live to take me to the hospital and um, to bring me back home again and to stay through the weekend. You know, we were going to reconnect and just kind of get through it. So the day after, I noticed that he was just acting really squirrely, uncomfortable, you know, cat on a hot tin roof kind of um, comes to mind. Clearly just very unsettled. So I kept poking at it and asking for information. Why are you uncomfortable? We made this decision together. We knew what we were doing. What is, what's the issue? And it turns out that there was more information that had not been disclosed. And it terminated our relationship. And it was a shocking revelation to me. And I didn't know what to do. I, I was shocked. I was in shock when I heard this information. So I did what I had been trained to do. And that was I turned to my church, to my spiritual tradition. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. And coming up in my childhood and in my life, I had been taught that when something like this happened in our life experiences, we could turn to God, to the church, to the clergy for solace and comfort. I was also taught that when you knew you had made a mistake that you would never make again, you'd go to confession. A lot of people believe that Catholics aren't really constrained by confession, that they go out and, you know, do their dirty deeds during the week, go to confession on the weekend, they get absolution, and then they're right back at it on Monday. 
But that's not the intent of confession. The intent is that you confess sins that you know you're never going to commit again. So I went to confession. And it was within a week of the abortion, maybe 10 days. It was right around uh, Lent. It was actually before Easter. And I went to confession, and it was a very uncomfortable, painful experience. Guilt, fear, uh, shame, a lot of shame, a sense of being unworthy and undeserving. And that was the uh, response that I got from the priest who heard my confession. I was in the confession booth for 20 minutes. If any of you have actually gone to Catholic confession, you know that that is about 10 times the amount that one might spend in a typical confession booth on any you know given Saturday. But eventually, after condemning me up, down, and sideways, not just me, but all and anyone who was involved in this procedure, um, they were all going to hell, I was going to hell, I was responsible for them going to hell. Finally, I heard the words that I didn't think I was going to hear, and that was that I was absolved, and he gave me my penance. I started to have some questions because... The words he was sharing were not congruent with what I had been taught in my catechism. But I wasn't going to make waves. I was just relieved that I had received absolution. He had given me penance. There was something I could do to mitigate this. And so I was willing to do whatever I had to do. And I didn't ask any questions about it. Coincidentally, I developed a slight infection and I was prescribed medication that has an ingredient in it that uh, those who are in rehab for alcohol abuse frequently are given so that if they do uh, drink any alcohol at all, they will get violently ill. It's negative reinforcement. It will teach them, it will retrain their body that alcohol equals gross sickness. And I was told this by the nurse who gave me the prescription. And the reason that that came up was because where I was going to church every day, to, uh, which was part of my penance, to go to church every day and take communion and offer it up for the soul of my baby. That was another thing that gave me pause because what I was taught in the Catholic Church was different than what I was being shown here. I was taught that if a baby was not born and baptized, then it it just went to limbo, was the term that was used at the time. It went to limbo, and there's really nothing you can do about that. But, But on the other hand, I was being told to take these steps to offer it up for the soul of my baby, even though I had been told that there was nothing that could be done. Again, though, I wasn't asking questions. I was just willing to move forward and do what I was told to do. So where I was taking communion every day, the priest would dip the host in the wine. Now, where I had gone to church before, and where my regular parish didn't do that, you didn't have to take the wine. You could take the host, and then if you wanted to take the wine separately you could, but I never did. 
So in this place, there wasn't a choice. If you were going to take the host, you were going to take the wine too. And so when I inquired, uh, when I followed up with my question about that, after I was told about this ingredient in the prescription, I was told, do not take that wine. And I said, well, you know, it's just a drop. I mean, it's just dipped in the host. And the nurse said to me, if you take that, you are going to be so sick, you're going to wish you were dead. But again, I wasn't asking questions. I just wanted to be absolved. I wanted to, my soul to be washed clean. I wanted to believe the priest, that the priest knew what he was talking about, that he had my best interests at heart. So I went to Mass the next day. I think I probably had been going to Mass every day for about a week. Then I developed this infection and went and saw the doctor. So I did go to Mass the next day, and I was just going to sally forth, as they say. And so when the time came to walk up to the altar for communion, there was an internal conflict happening in me that was a conversation best illustrated by the idea of an angel on one hand and the devil on the other, back and forth. Are you really going to do this after, what, after the way that you're seeing all of these hypocrisies? Are you really going to do this? And then the other side was, you know, if you don't do it, this is what you have to do in order to be saved. You don't want to go to hell. Seriously, are you going to believe this guy after the hypocrisies that you're seeing now? Well, you know, what's it? So it was that conversation, back and forth, back and forth. And, but I'm just, you know, I'm in line and I'm walking up to that altar and I'm going to do it. And I got about three people in front of me and I had this moment of Satori, I think, where I just thought, this is insane. This is crazy. I, I, I can't do this. I, I need time and space. So I got out of line and I picked my stuff up from the pew and I walked out. And... That was the end of my being a practicing Catholic. And I remember standing on the steps of this church and feeling completely lost and unmoored. Every, every foundation that I had for myself was now gone because I lived my life according to what I'd been taught. Well, obviously not all that I'd been taught if I was having premarital sex, but let's just remember where I was. I was in my 20s you know, still coming up and learning and understanding. And I hadn't been taught to think for myself. And so this dynamic, I believe, occurred so that it would get my attention, the attention of my higher self, the part of me that recognizes that at some point we have to take ourselves in hand and say, this isn't working. Let's try something different. So I'm standing on the steps of this church and feeling lost and scared, still scared. I didn't do what the priest told me to do. Does, what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, my penance is null and void? What does it mean? What does it mean that I've made my own decision? What does that mean? It was scary as hell. But this voice came into my head. I heard these words and I had no idea what they meant. And the words were, now we can begin. Again, had no idea what those meant. So I ended up going to my mother's after this experience. And my mother was not a fan of Catholicism. She converted to Catholicism. When she and my father got married, they both converted to Catholicism. She was not a big fan of organized religion. 
Um, so I went to her apartment and we had a conversation and I said to her something along the lines of, mom, do you know what he said to me? And I told her all the things he shared and, and, and her one, my mother wasn't particularly compassionate, but she had her moments. She looked at me really with love in her eyes. And she said, Mary, what did you expect? He's a priest, which kind of summed it up in that moment. So anyway, fast forward, years of depression, years of guilt and shame, but eventually I met and married my now ex-husband, and I had my beautiful daughter, and she really, having her becoming a mother gave me a direction in my life, which is what I was really searching for, was a direction in my life. Through the experience of being her mom, raising her as a single parent from the time she was 14 months old, on some level, I had been asking for a teacher for a long time, probably even before I had this experience with the church. And it came to the forefront of my mind when I was older that I had been living with this sense of fear for a a very long time. I just had this pit in my stomach all the time and that nobody else seemed to experience. They, They never talked about it. And when I asked if any, you know, my friends, my family, if they had this pit in their stomach, they all got kind of got tired of hearing about it after a while. They're like, look, no, we don't have it move on. But I wanted to get to the bottom of it. I knew that it wasn't me. It wasn't, this wasn't normal, so to speak. It wasn't typical. And so I kind of, you know, I spent some time in inner introspection, which is another thing that we, we do when we are starting to think for ourselves. And I looked back and I realized that this really started for me when I was very young. I can remember being about nine or 10 years old and waking up in the morning and before I got out of bed, sort of taking an inventory for the day because I would wake up with that feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I think, okay, my parents aren't mad at me. My homework's done. My teachers aren't mad at me. My closet is clean. My room is clean. My friends aren't mad at me. None of my family's mad at me. Okay, everything's okay. And the feeling would lift and I would go, you know, go along with my day. I think over the years, though, I stopped taking that inner inventory. I just learned to live with it. It just became sort of part of who I was in my consciousness, and I just lived my life there. And then this episode happened in my 20s, and it was like it was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call. And if you know anything about astrology, there are certain points in our life, and please, you know, don't roll your eyes when I mention astrology, I'm not saying you have to believe in astrology, but I'm saying we have to learn to think for ourselves, and that means being open-minded. You don't have to embrace these things. But it is helpful to be open-minded to them because sometimes there's information there that can benefit you. But we do know that there are certain cycles that we go through in life. There's something called a Saturn return. And I was going to be approaching my Saturn return, and Saturn return is all about sort of growing up, you know, waking up, growing up, stop doing what you've been doing. How's that working for you? Sort of an interesting correlation is if if you look at a lot of young um, stars and movie stars or, you know, um, celebrities who pass away, 
They usually pass around their Saturn return, late 20s, early 30s. And that can be the reason why sometimes is Saturn is a soul element. You know, are you going to grow up? Are you going to wake up? It's time to wake up. It's time to start seeing things differently. And I was coming, I was going to be coming up on that. So here was my opportunity to wake up. I could have gone back to sleep. I could have lived the rest of my life unconscious and unaware. Something in me, though, something in me just didn't want to do that. And so when I started asking the questions, do you feel like this? Are you having this experience? And people were saying that they weren't. I just had to get to the bottom of it. I knew that there was another way. Fast forward, I met a teacher. I'd been asking, I guess, for a teacher for a while, and I met my teacher, David. And that's when the journey really took off. That's when I really started to learn to think for myself. He helped me to do that. It's been a process. It is a process. And that's the point of my podcast, is to help my brothers and sisters in the flesh come to understand how to think for ourselves, themselves, why it's beneficial, how it shows up in the world, how elements that don't want us to succeed at that show up in the world. It's a process and it's worth taking that journey. That's the thing. Now that I'm through a lot of it, I look back on when I didn't want to take the journey and I understand now why I didn't want to take the journey because I have the benefit of hindsight. There's something in us that is afraid that we're going to... What, for me, it was I was afraid that if I took the journey, I was going to be faced with evidence that my sense of shame and worthlessness and unworthiness, there was going to be evidence that showed up to support that. And who wants, to, who wants that in their face, right? We have this underlying belief that we are unworthy, that we are bad, that we are worthless, and nothing is, could be, possibly be further from the truth. But all of these pathways that can show us otherwise have been deemed, there's a term called occult, and occult just means secret. But occult has come to, to mean something, that term has been perverted, let's put it that way, it's been perverted so that anytime something is deemed occult, we have this subconscious or unconscious understanding that it's bad and we should stay away from it. But that has been cultivated and nurtured purposefully to keep us from knowing who we are, the truth about who we are. So if that's something that you really want, if you really want the truth of who you are, I'm telling you, the journey may be bumpy, but it is worth it because miracles happen in your life when you know who you are. And there's so much evidence in the material realm, but also in the realm of spirit to help you to bolster that new understanding. You just have to decide to take the journey. And I'm here to help you take the journey. I've done it. And if I can help even one other person do it, 
it will all have been worth it. It'll be worth it anyway. Uh, it's definitely been worth it. Anyway, that's my origin story. Thanks for taking this uh, journey with me. And uh, thanks for listening.